1: i never thought i would be waiting tables after college i mean i was supposed to like go have this big amazing career but waiting tables for me was by and large one of the best things that ever happened to me
2: Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. We're here to share fascinating stories and advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. If you're enjoying our podcast, we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review us on your favourite podcasting platform. It would mean the world to us. Now for this week's episode. Hello, dear inspiring unstoppables. Our guest today is the extraordinary Heidi Hackamer, who is VP of Engagement at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. That's the multi-billion dollar philanthropic foundation founded by pediatrician and education advocate Priscilla Chan and, of course her husband, Facebook's co-founder, Mark Zuckerberg. We first heard about Heidi as a leading creative thinker, and we knew she'd started her own
0: unique brand strategy agency in New York that was very highly regarded.
2: But then we realized that was just the tip of the iceberg. In today's episode, you'll hear why she walked away from her prestigious role in advertising to drop out and drive around America for two years how differently she thought about her career when she was in her 20s versus her 30s, and how she built a business from the ground up to optimise creativity, and her passionate
0: reaction to the stereotypes women are expected to subscribe to, especially the assumption that every woman must want to be a mother you'll hear how Heidi has dealt with this big life question. We really loved this conversation and know you will too. So please enjoy this episode with the gutsy, the creative, and refreshingly frank Heidi Hakama.
2: Heidi, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. I'm so excited. Well, we're really excited as well. And where, where are you at the moment? Are you in San Francisco or in New York?
1: I am in San Francisco
2: So Heidi, you've had a really, really interesting career, and we're very excited to hear your journey. But before we sort of delve into the detail, because there's so much to talk about, what I wanted to ask you was, how would you summarize your career to somebody, let's say, if you were at the dinner table and you had a few sentences?
1: I always like thinking about careers as the spiritual arc of a career, not the rundown of all the places that I've worked and the things that I've done. So when I think about my career, I think about it in my 20s and in my 30s. And I'm 39 now, so I'm just ending this decade. And my 20s were really about building up core skills and experiences that gave me a really solid, rigorous set of things that I could bring to an organization. And my 30s was all about jumping off of cliffs and just running at things that I thought were most interesting and aligned with who I was as a person and where I wanted to be spiritually.
2: Wow, that's a great way of thinking about it. And those 20s are are just they're, they're actually really so important, aren't they in terms of building those
1: crucial skills? I think so. And I also find that people are usually really stressed out in their 20s over the fact of whether they're building those skills or not. And I took the approach I had a lot of bigger moves in my 20s. I moved to England for a while, I came back to the United States. And really, it was just about making sure that every step I was learning something new and not being so rigid about what the exact path I needed to be on to do that.
2: When you were growing up, my understanding is you
1: kind of knew what you wanted to be. Is that right? Well, not until my sophomore year of college, when I stumbled into an advertising class because My freshman year, I thought I was going to be a business major, just like my older sister, because I had just a lack of imagination about what I wanted to be. I realized that I had to take accounting. I was like, no. So my sophomore year, my first semester, I just took anything I was interested in. I took art classes. I took set design classes. And I also took an advertising 101 class. And I thought it was pretty cool because it combined business with creativity. And that's how I ended up in advertising.
2: And I think think you went to New York. To have the big time I did.
1: I went to New York right after I graduated in two thousand and one, just in time for September eleventh
2: Wow, and that must have been pretty difficult.
1: <laughs> well, it's like you know where I grew up in America, it's really middle of the country, it's rural, most of the state that I grew up in is farmland, and so not only am i in, am I in New York City, like totally fresh, but then about a week and a half, two weeks later. You have 9-11 happening, which was, you know, it was quite a seminal welcome to New York City.
2: I can't imagine how just really quite traumatic and shocking that would have been.
1: Yeah, it was it was crazy. I watched it all go down from my roof in Brooklyn. I didn't see the planes hit, but I saw both of the towers fall. And it was surreal, honestly. It was, it was surreal and it was such a intense time to be in New York City.
2: What do you think are the lasting marks from that?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I still have nightmares if I'm practical about it. It, It's funny how sometimes I will still have a nightmare about being in a city where things are falling down or things are burning or airplanes are flying in a weird place. And I think, you know, being empathetic to trauma is really important. I don't think that I have experienced trauma in the same way as a young person as some of the people like that we work with now at Chan Zuckerberg or some of the people just in society at large. So Um, It made me much more empathetic to how trauma can actually affect somebody. But I think in some ways it also really strengthened me a lot. I've taken a lot of confidence from the fact that 22 years old, fresh to the city, advertising industry shut down, right? Like they started firing everybody and there was hiring freezes. And um, as a result, I waited tables in New York for two years. And, you know, before that I was... Had, I think I had a pretty linear idea of what my career should be. And I think a part of that is my father's an immigrant. And so when you are first generation, you kind of want to stay on track because that's, that's what you're expected to do. I never thought I would be waiting tables after college. I mean, I was supposed to like go have this big, amazing career, but waiting tables for me was by and large, one of the best things that ever happened to me because it made me realize that no matter what happens, I can always wait tables and I can take care of myself. And so I think the toughness that I got from being in New York right after 9-11, and then having that huge like, "Er!" moment on my career made me realize I'm way more self-sufficient than maybe I would have discovered until later on. And I think that has enabled me to take risks in a way that I might have not taken risks had I not had that experience.
0: That's so interesting, Heidi. And you talked about how your 30s was the era or the decade of jumping off cliffs. Can you tell us about one or two of those cliffs? What were they? I mean, the one that
1: I'm probably most known for is the fact that like when I was about 30, 31 years old, I was you know, really doing well in advertising. I was working at BBH. I was the planning director on the launch of Google Chrome, which is one of the main Google launches that had happened up until then. Our work was really famous. And I decided just to buy a truck and drive around America and drop out. And to most people that seemed total insanity. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, career suicide, yeah. Career suicide. So that was definitely a jump off a cliff. I think starting your own business and putting yourself out there is a jump off a cliff. And especially the way that I decided that I was going to build my business, which was very focused on what I call non-traditional talent, very focused on changing the talent and the value equation so that to get the best work that you can get out of people, you have to value them as people and not as cogs in a machine. And it actually really changes the way that you operate a creative business when you think like that. And then, you know, the, the last cliff, the most recent one is... (laughs) <laughs> you know, about four and to change years from me starting the business saying, you know what, I'm going to go move across the country. I'm going to move away from the business that I love. I'm going to move away from the man that I love. I'm going to move away from the house that I love and the life that I constructed. That is just a really damn good life. And I'm going to go work for somebody else. That was another cliff jump for sure.
0: Wow, I think we're going to have to come back and explore some of these jumps in more detail. But So if we, we go back to just thinking about these different changes that you've made, what was your thinking? Because I know a lot of people wrestle with what next and when should the next step come. How did you go about thinking about when to change and what to change to?
1: Yeah, I think when I was like 27 or so, 28, I moved to London And I really thought that that was going to be it. And like, once you did a international move, that was just where your life was for the rest of your life. Right. And I was fully prepared that I would meet some handsome European and have expat children and live that life. But then I really didn't like London. And I moved back to New York about, you know, 16 months after I moved to London. And what that showed me is that nothing is permanent and you really can't mess anything up. And I experienced that in the career of moving to London. I experienced it in my 20s. I got married and divorced within a period of, I think, eight months. <laughs> I had a Britney Spears marriage. All these things that are supposed to lock you in, that are supposed to put you on a certain path. I think the only thing that you can't undo really is have children, right? Yeah. And so I, I realized that none of this stuff was really had to set me on a path that I didn't want to be on. And then when I left And lived in the truck for the couple of years that I did. It was a true walkabout. And there was a real spiritual journey that happened there for me. Where I had realized that the state of my soul was pretty dismal. And my soul was pretty shriveled. It was getting trampled by these ideas of career and ego. And once I let my soul breathe, then you get in touch with that. And it's quite easy to know where you're supposed to go next. And so I would say in my 30s, it really was a sense of like, nothing is a disaster, you're going to be fine, and developing a practice of touching into my soul and being able to understand what my gut said was really the right next move to make.
0: And what does that practice look like for you to to really get in tune with your soul and, and what to do next?
1: Yeah, I mean it's all this like hippy dippy shit that's going on in the world right now. That's all over my Instagram feed, right? (laughs) Like, you know, I meditate every day. I rarely skip a day of meditation. That's super important. And my teacher and I talk about it as meditation plus one. So every morning I need to absolutely meditate, and then I need to do one of four other things. And the four other things are journal, workout, stretch slash yoga, or spend times in gratitude. And I'm not allowed to go on my Instagram account until I've done the meditation plus one in the morning.
2: So Heidi, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go back to that point where you decided that you were gonna quit your advertising career, career suicide potentially, and drive around America in a truck for two years. How did you actually make that decision? I know that what you said was that you were at a point in your career but how did you make the decision to actually go and do that specifically
1: well this was the first time that my gut instinct really came screaming through it was almost like a preview of what my gut instinct would become to me in my 30s and it literally was i was at work one day thought popped in my head buy a truck drive around america and with a month i was gone within a month wow yeah it was so strong it was such a strong feeling And as soon as I felt it, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do.
2: Isn't it amazing in life sometimes you get these things and you just know? Yeah. And what did you think you
0: would get out of that? You know, before you started it, it was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do because it will. How would you (laughs) have
1: finished that sentence? You know, to be totally honest with you at the time, I was like, I'm going to go have a little adventure. I'm going to have some good stories for cocktail hour and then I'm going to crawl back to BBH in January and beg for my job back. I left in August and I thought by January I would have had my little adventure and then I was going to be done. That's not what happened.
2: When you look back on it, do you think you were trying to escape
1: something? Totally. I think that something deep inside me knew that staying on the advertising track and living that life and having that... Achievement ladder was not who I really am.
2: And then you spent literally two years, I think mostly on your own, driving around America.
1: I was always alone when I was traveling. I always invited friends to join me. Nobody ever did. I did go back to New York at times and freelance to get more money, but it was really interesting freelancing when you really don't care. I mean, you care about the integrity of the work you're doing. And I always made sure that I had a stellar reputation as a freelancer, but caring about the future of the agency or the dynamics or who we're hiring and stuff like that. It was awesome just being like, nope, I'm just here to be an assassin. I'm going to come in, I'm going to slay this work and then I'm out. I loved it.
0: And from your experiences and what you observed, did that play into becoming a key reason for you ultimately returning to New York? and wanting to start your own agency?
1: That's a good question. I realized on a hike in Wyoming that this concept of brand was being underutilized, that companies had to show up holistically in better ways. And when you're a brand strategist inside of an ad agency, you're really exploring the entire company and the way that the entire company interacts with the world at large. And then your thinking gets funneled down into this one tiny little area of execution, which is advertising, which is becoming more and more irrelevant. And so I wanted to help companies be better. And I knew that the skills I had as a brand strategist could help companies be better holistically. And I think the reason I wanted companies to be better is just overall. I think that's a good thing, right? That capitalism and corporate America can shape us in in very powerful ways, but also it felt like the, country in the world and people deserve our companies to be better and I wanted to be a part of that
2: so you then went and you literally started your agency I might get the name wrong in terms of how I pronounce it but Wolfen Wilhelmine is that right (laughs) can you can you say it for me
1: it's okay. It, it's my grandmother's name. Uh well I'm very
2: sorry then, particularly. No, no 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 no
1: no no I'm just no, I'm laughing because despite being a branding expert, I named my own company the most impossible name to say. So it is Wolf and Wilhelmina,
2: Oh right. Okay. I got it really wrong.
1: No, no, it's fine. You're not the only one. That's why we call ourselves W and W. So you went and started W
2: w because that's much safer for me. And you've talked about how, you know you, you set up the business and you really wanted to do things differently, and you, you started to touch on it, but what would you say are the things that you really did fundamentally differently to what you'd seen before?
1: Well, I wanted to build a company that was really focused on creativity and not as lip service. And creativity is not having a foosball table or having a bar night every Thursday night like I've had at other agencies I've worked at. (laughs) So when I was on the road, I started to read academic studies on creativity. And academia loves studying creativity. There's, There's so much evidence and learnings in academia that I find rarely get transferred into our industry, which is insane because our industry survives on whether we're creative or not. And the things that I... That were really driven home to me in this period is creativity needs things like rest, and the mind needs to be bored, and you need to have difficult challenges but have pauses between those challenges. Um, and you know, people need to feel safe when they need to create. Rarely do we have wonderful creative outputs when people are in an environment of fear. And so, when I started WW, I really wanted to build a company around that. And I didn't want to build a company that was lip service company. I wanted to build a company that had policies in place around that. And this is something that I think our industry needs to start getting really serious about. Stop talking about the lip service, start getting the policies in place, but the policies are going to hurt your margin. And so that's why I think we don't do it. And so like the policies we have in place is that no emails after seven o'clock client work is not factored into weekends. It's pretty rare that a WW will work on a weekend. We have a meeting every Monday. It's called the Weekly Fuzz. And what that meeting is, it's anyone that's leading an account at WW gathers up together and we project ahead things that might get in the way of somebody working only 40 to 50 hours a week. And you know, honestly, this stuff can affect the bottom line. W&W, we do not bill people out at the 150 or 200% that I was billed out at the agencies I worked at before. We generally bill people out at 100% counting on a 40-hour work week. And that has real financial implications for W&W.
2: And how do you see the future of work if you come from your lens? How how do you see the future of work?
1: First of all, you have to embrace what I call the non-traditional worker. Non-traditional to me are... Those who historically haven't led or had a place at the table and those who want to work in a way that is more satisfying to them, which I would classically call freelancers. We built W&W from the very beginning to have uh, we have a women leadership team, very high proportion of people from all races, and we've always been incredibly freelancer friendly. I look at freelancers as almost an extension of my company. I see the future of a company, of companies being fluid and fluid in every way, fluid with the way you think about leadership, fluid in the way that you think about what an employee is. I think we have to be way more flexible. And when you are flexible, like people love you and they they work hard for you. They show up. And talking
0: about that fluidity, you're really living that now because if we think about One of the other sort of cliff jumps that you've made as you described it, you actually chose last year to leave the baby, the business that you had established, and go and join the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative.
1: Can you tell us how that came about? You only get a phone call like this once in your life, I think. To get a phone call that the fourth richest individual in the world is going to build a philanthropy from scratch try to build it in a way that a philanthropy has never been built before. And you're going to come in at ground level and help set the DNA and the core functions and how this all works. That's just crazy. That's that's a crazy phone call to get. But I have to say, the night before I flew to California for my interviews, I was on the phone with one of my mentors. Everyone I had talked to before that said, oh my God, this is amazing. You have to take this. You have to take this. And I was feeling really uneasy about that. And I finally got on the phone with Tony, one of my mentors, and he said, "Listen, Heidi." He's like, "You've built something really, really amazing. You've built an amazing company, you've built an incredible life. Don't undervalue that walking in the door. This might seem on paper to be the best opportunity in the world, but if you don't feel this deeply, there's nothing wrong with saying no to CZI and staying at WW." And that was exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to feel like I had agency over this decision and it wasn't just me being swallowed up by a tsunami of opportunity. And so when I walked into CZI the next day, you know, within three hours, my gut was like, you're doing this. But I think I really needed to hear someone tell me, you don't have to do this. You can do whatever the hell you want. And that was, that was really important for me.
0: I really get that because I think so often, and I think potentially this can happen more to women that it's easy to be overcome by, oh my gosh, they want me and forget about the value that we we bring to the table ourselves or the value that we could be leaving and being almost grateful that, oh my gosh, this is a scarcity, you know, I must take this. But so that would be taking it for the wrong reasons. So I love that you got that advice. So tell us, what are you actually
1: working on then? So it's really interesting. So I sit over two parts of the org. One part of the org is an internal agency, for lack of a better word. And we're in the process of making sure that the website, our social channels, and that the whole organization is equipped to tell our story brilliantly. And I hope that, and I know that, I don't hope that, I know we're going to do this in a way that philanthropy hasn't showed up in the world before. And I'm really excited for all that work to come to fruition in the next couple months. The other side of what I work on is about changing the context of culture so that the changes we want to make happen more quickly. So let me give you an example, because that sounds pretty esoteric. One of the things that we are really focused on at CZI is reforming the criminal justice system and reforming the criminal justice system means changing a lot of laws and policies to get that done really. But if you don't have culture and people understanding the criminal justice system differently, if you don't have them understanding a different narrative, those policies are almost impossible to change. Those laws are almost impossible to bring to the floor, much less get enacted.
0: And presumably that's exactly where your passion for creative thinking comes in.
1: It's an awesome challenge. It's one that I'm like, holy shit, how do we do all this? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, there's no blueprint for this, which is actually excites me more than anything. But I'm so grateful that, like, I am being able to take a run at this. Like, how cool is that?
2: Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. In the current climate, it must be a tricky place to navigate because, obviously, coming from the Chan Zuckerberg initiative – you've got all of that negative narrative that's been going on regarding Facebook. How are you thinking about dealing with that, if,
1: if at all? No, I mean, we think about this quite a bit. And at the end of the day, we, like every philanthropy, are a grant-giving organization that really believes in empowering people that are doing the hard work. And if you can keep your eyes there, right? It's not about telling the Chan Zuckerberg story. This is not about making CZI famous at all at all. Like th- that's not the goal of this. The goal of this is to make sure that the people that are passionate about this have the tools they need and have the support they need. So really it's about leading from behind.
0: Heidi, changing the topic slightly, but still on culture. You've talked previously about a cultural narrative for women that presupposes that they should be and have certain things like husbands and kids, etc. How's that cultural narrative affected you?
1: Oh, God. I mean, now we're going into it, right? I was barely married. I've never been married since. I don't have kids. I get asked about this all the time. And don't you hate that, by the way? Don't you hate that? I do. I do hate it. I do. It's funny. I was just talking about this this last weekend because it was Mother's Day in the United States. And the thing I commented to a couple of my girlfriends who don't have kids is that I'm really grateful that there's Mother's Day and that we celebrate mothers and we celebrate the sacrifices they make and the strength that they have. It makes me sad that that is the only lens through which we acknowledge female strength and perseverance and just badassery in the country and perhaps the world. It's always done through the lens of being a mom. And I think that's dangerous because I think there are so many ways that you can be a powerful woman and a contributing woman and a nurturing woman in the world. And we just don't have many archetypes for women to follow. So I've told, I've heard this a million times from people like you don't understand what it means to be a woman until you've held a baby in your arms. And I feel like saying, well, maybe you don't understand what it means to be a woman until you've ridden a Harley cross country. Like why do we only say that complete womanhood is manifested through these very traditional acts. One of the things that I try to talk about this a lot, because there's a lot of young women who have these doubts about wanting to get married or wanting to have kids. And I feel like I owe it to them to say, you are valuable. You are a woman. You are a complete woman. And don't let anybody take that away from you just because you don't want to pop one out. You have so much value to give as a woman to the world. Believe in that. And we just don't say that enough to women. We only give them one path to be adored by culture. And I think that's really messed up.
0: Couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's one of the big picture reasons why Claire and I are doing this podcast to make sure that people understand there are so many definitions of what success looks like and that there is not one path to follow. And we've all got to find the right path for ourselves. And so in this context of the cultural narrative and the pressures that it does put on women, how have you been finding that right path for you? I think it gets
1: back to cultivating the ritual of my gut and really cultivating the relationship with myself to understand what makes me tick and what really makes me happy. And then not being ashamed of that. I have so many people say to me like, well, are you sure you don't want kids? Are you sure that's not what you want? And I say to them, look at my life. Anything that I've ever really wanted to do, I've done. (laughs) So yeah, you know what? Up until now, I've been pretty sure that I don't want to have kids. It would have happened. But for me to have the confidence to say that back to somebody, I have to be confident in who I am. And that means I need to create the spaces of quiet and the spaces of reflection to really know that this this is really what I want from my life.
2: What advice would you have for other women who are perhaps grappling with
1: this very thing? One of the best things I ever did was I froze my eggs. (laughs) I had a lot of older women friends who went through these horrible IVFs to try to have children. And so I was almost scared into it. So I froze my eggs. And the instant I took away the pressure of future Heidi being pissed off at me for not having kids... I was able to really think clearly about do I really want kids or not? And the answer was no. Now, I realize that that is a very privileged perspective to have. Not everybody has the disposable income or the means to be able to freeze their eggs. So if you can do it, I would recommend it. If you can't, that just means our policies need to change, really. But the advice I would give to women that are grappling with this is find a lot of different kinds of women to connect to. Find the moms, the working moms or the moms that decided to stay home with their kids. Talk to them about their lives. Have an honest conversation about them, with them. Find the people that didn't have kids and talk to them about that. Explore it, reflect on it figure out where you stand on it. There's nowhere you can stand that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of the choices. The only thing that's wrong if you do, is if you do something because you feel like you should do something. So give yourself the benefit of the exploration to figure out what it is that you really want.
2: And so, Heidi, looking back, you know, on this last decade, which has, as you said, has been jumping off various different cliffs, what advice would you
1: give to your 30-year-old self? That thing you're feeling? Do it. Go do it because it was just around 30 when it all started to flip right and like where I realized the importance of the relationship with myself where I started really doing the jump the cliff jumps and I'm pretty satisfied is the wrong word but I'm pretty like cool with how I did it since then I took a lot of risks and I did a lot of things that people told me were crazy but it, it was my life And so I would just tell that 30 year old, like, this is where the fun begins. Start, go, do it.
2: Love that. And so what's your motto in life? I feel like there's one behind that.
1: It comes from the Muppet movie and the motto is nothing to it, but to do it.
2: Nothing to it, but to do it. I love that. That is so perfect. If
0: this podcast achieves anything, Claire and I really hope that it motivates people to take action, to not hesitate, but to take small steps towards whatever's important to them. So I really love the sentiment of nothing to it, but to do
1: it. I want to just touch on something you just said, and it's the idea of small steps. I think the danger that comes from talking to someone like me is that you can see big things in my life, right? You can see the move to London and back. You can see the dropping out of the career. You can see starting the company. You can see the move to Chan Zuckerberg and all these things feel like these big momentous things that are slightly insane and maybe untouchable a bit. But really, really, it starts with the practice of small steps. It starts with the practice of saying no because you don't want to go to dinner with that person who annoys you every time you go to dinner, right? Or it starts with the practice of, In that meeting, you're going to raise your hand that day because you know what you have to say is valuable. And so I think this idea of micro actions is super, super important. And it's about starting to generate the momentum in yourself and the energy space around you where you get in a habit of trying and doing. And then I really believe that then that starts to snowball.
0: And so do we. We couldn't agree more with that, Heidi. Heidi, thank you so much. How can listeners find out more about CZI Z in Australia, Z in America, CZI, or you? Uh, where should they check out online to learn more or connect?
1: So all my handles are is um, under the name of Uber Blonde U B E R B L O N D. Mm-hmm. So Twitter, Instagram, Medium is actually my favorite space. I write a lot of Medium stuff. As far as Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, go to Chan Zuckerberg dot com in september <laughs> i think it's going to be a really awesome site then but you can check out our social channels we have instagram and facebook and you can find out more about us there and then wolf Wilhelmina is on twitter and instagram and you can follow there wolf Wilhelmina's instagram is pretty fun so i would definitely check that out
0: we absolutely will do encourage all our listeners to do the same. Heidi, it's been such a fascinating conversation. We can't wish you enough luck and best wishes for your current challenges at Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. They're so important. So good luck with that. And thank you so much for joining us today.
1: And thank you for doing this. Like this is what women need. So I've been so grateful to have this conversation, but I'm grateful that this exists. So thank you so much.
0: Before you go, a quick note to remind you that we're now launching new
2: episodes every second week, usually on a Wednesday, so be sure to tune in. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our email at don'tstopusnow.co For now, here's to being a little bit more unstoppable each and every day.